Section 17 of the Afghan Wars, 1839-42 through 42 and 1878-80, through 80, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Afghan Wars, 1839-42 through 42 and 1878-80, through 80, Part 2, by Archibald Forbes. Chapter 5, The December Storm, Part 2. The result of the day's operations left General Baker momentarily belated, but on the morning of the 11th, that officer, finding that no Afghans were being driven down upon him in accordance with the program, quitted the Midian country and marched northward towards Urinda. An attack on his baggage and rear guard was foiled, but as he reached his camping ground for the night at Urinda, the Afghans were found in possessions of the gorge opening into the Charda Valley, through which ran his road to Gabal. They were dislodged by a dashing attack of part of the GTD Highlanders led by Lieutenant Scott Napier. It was not until the morning of the 12th that Baker was informed by telegraph from Chapur of the occurrences of the previous day and received directions to return to the Canamont without delay. In the course of a few hours, he was inside Chapur, notwithstanding that his march had been constantly molested by attacks on his rear guard. The casualties of the 11th had been, after all, not very serious. All told, they amounted to 30 men killed and 44 wounded, 51 horses killed and 16 wounded. But the Afghans were naturally elated by the success they had unquestionably achieved. The National Rising had been inaugurated by a distinct triumph, the news of which would bring into the field incalculable swarms of fierce and fanatical partisans. It was clear that Muhammad John had a quick eye for opportunities and some skill in handling men that he could recognize the key point of a position and act boldly and promptly on that recognition. His tactics of the 11th made abundantly obvious, and his commanding position on the morning of the 12th still further demonstrated his tactical ability. La audience au corps, la audience et toujours la audience, is the game to be played by the commander of a disciplined troops against aesthetic levies. And no man was more sensible of this than the gallant soldier who now from the bastion of Sherpur could see the Afghan standards waving on the summit of Takia Shah. Indeed, he was impressed so thoroughly by the force of the maximum as to allow himself to hope that some 560 soldiers, of whom about one-third were Europeans, backed by a couple of mountain guns, would be able to carry by assault the lofty peak, strongly held by the resolute Afghans in protected positions supported by thousands of their fellows lying out of sight until an attack developed itself, to meet which they were at hand to reinforce the garrison of the Takia Shah. From the gorge of the Cabal River, there runs due south to near Charasha, a lofty and rugged range, the highest point of which the Takia Shah is about midway from either extremity. From this main ridge, there project eastward at right angles two lateral spurs. The shorter and more northerly of those runs down to the Bala Hassar, the longer and more southerly obtruding itself into the plain as far as the village of Beni Hisar. This latter spur quits the main ridge no great distance south of the Takia Shah peak, and on the 12th the Afghan reserves were massed in rear of the peak, both on the main ridge and on this spur. The steep bases of the mountain were strewn with great smooth boulders and jagged masses of rock. The ascent, everywhere laborious, was complicated in places by sheer scarps, and those formidable impediments were made still more difficult by frequent sanghas, strong stone curtains behind which the defenders lay safe or fired with a minimum of exposure. On the summit was a great natural cavity which had been made bomb-proof by art, 
and further cover was afforded by caves and lined of rock. The most northerly portion of the ridge described is known as the Shur Dwaza Heights, which Macroperson had occupied on the morning of the 12th, and his brigade it was which furnished the little force already mentioned as charged to attempt the task of storming the Takia Shah. For several hours, Morgan's two mountain guns industrially shelled that peak, and the infantry made their effort. The Afghans fought stubbornly in defense of a lower hill they had held in advance of the Takia Shah, but after a hard struggle, they had to abandon it to Macaperson's resolute men. But the exertions of the latter to ascend the peak were balked by its rugged steepness and the fire of the Afghans holding the sun gauze on its face. Sir Frederick Roberts had to recognize that the direct attack by so weak a force, unaided by diversion, could not succeed, and he ordered further efforts to be deferred. The casualties of the abortive attempt included three officers, one of whom Major Cook, V.C. of the Gurkhas, then whom the British Army contained no better soldier, died of his wound. Macaperson was directed to hold the ground he had won, including the lower advanced hill, and was informed on the following morning he was to expect the cooperation of General Baker from the direction of Beni Hissar. The lesson of the result of attempting impossibilities had been taken to heart and the force which Baker led out on the morning of the 13th was exceptionally strong, consisting as it did of the 92 Highlanders and Guides Infantry, a wing of the 3D Sikhs, a cavalry regiment, and eight guns, marching in the direction of the lateral spur extending from the main ridge eastward to Beni Hissar, Baker observed that large masses of the enemy were quitting the plain villages about Beni Hissar in which they had taken shelter for the night and were hurrying to gain the summit of the spur which constituted the defensive position of the Afghan reserve. Baker's coup de oeuvre was quick and true. By gaining the center of the spur, he would cut into the Afghan line along its summit and so isolate and neutralize the section of of it from the center of the Beni Hissar extremity, toward which section the reinforcements from the plain villages were climbing. But to accomplish this shrewd stroke, it was necessary that he should act with promptitude and energy. His guns opened fire on the summit. The Sikhs extended athwart the plain, protected his right flank. His cavalry on the left cut into the bodies of Afghans, hurrying to ascend the eastern extremity of the spur. With noble emulation, the Highlanders and the guides sprang up the rugged slope, their faces set towards the center of the summit line. Major White, who already earned many laurels in his campaign, led on his Highlanders, the guides, burning to make the most of their opportunity to distinguish themselves, followed eagerly the gallant chief who had so often led them to victory on other fields. Lieutenant Forbes, a young officer of the 92 heading the advance of his regiment, reached the summit accompanied by his only color sergeant. A band of gazes rushed on the pair and the sergeant fell. As Forbes stood covering his body, he was soon overpowered and slain. The sudden catastrophe staggered for a moment for many follow the soldiers following their officer, but Lieutenant Dick Cunningham rallied them immediately and led them forward at speed. For his conduct on this occasion, Cunningham received the Victoria Cross. With rolling volleys, Highlanders and guides reached and won the summit. The Afghans momentarily clung to the position, but the British fire swept them away and the bayonets disposed of the Ghazis, who fought and died in defense of their standards. The severance of the Afghan line was complete. A detachment was left to maintain the isolation of some 2,000 of the enemy who had been cut off, and then swinging to their right, Baker's regiment swept along the summit of the spur towards the main ridge of the Takiya Shah, the Highlanders leading. As they advanced, they rolled up the Afghan line and a panic set in among the enemy, who sought safety in flight. Assailed from both sides 
for Macaperson's men from the conical hill were passing up the north side of the peak, and shaken by the steady fire of the mounting guns, the garrison of the Takia Shah evacuated the position. Baker's soldiers toiled vigorously upward towards the peak, keen for the honor of winning it. But the credit of that achievement justly fell to their comrades of the Macaperson's command, who have striven so valiantly to earn it the day before, and who had gained possession of the peak and the Afghan standards flying on its summit, a few minutes before the arrival of the white Highlanders and Jenkins guides. As the midday gun was fired in the Kanamont, the flash of the heligraph from the peak told that the Takia Shah was won. While Baker was sweeping the spur and climbing the lofty peak of the rain ridge, his reserve, which remained in the plain, was in sharp action against the masses of assailants from the city and other bodies from the villages of Beni Hisar. Those were beaten off by the 3D Sikhs and Baker's flanks were thus cleared, but the resolute Afghans, bent on interfering with his return march, surged away in the direction of the Si Song Ridge and gathered thereon in considerable strength. The guns of Sherpur called them smartly, but they held their ground, and Massey went out to disperse them with the cavalry. The Afghans showed an unwanted resolution, confronting the cavalry with extraordinary steadiness and regular formation and withholding their fire until the troopers were close upon them. But the horsemen were not to be denied. Captains Butson and Chrysalom led their squadrons against the Afghan flanks and the troopers of the ninth avenged the mishap which had, which had befallen the gallant regiment two days before. Riding through and through, the hostile masses were scattering all over the plain, but in charge, Butson was killed, Cresimol and Tor were wounded, and the sergeant major and three men were killed, and seven were wounded. Brilliant charges were delivered by the other cavalry detachments, and the Seasung Heights were ultimately cleared. The guide's cavalry attacked, defeated, and pursued for a long distance a body of Kanistans marching from the northeast apparently with intent to join Muhammad John. The casualties of the day were 16 killed and 45 wounded. Not a heavy loss considering the amount of hard fighting. The Afghans were estimated to have lost and killed alone from 200 to 300 men. The operations of the day were unquestionably successful. So far they went... But the actual results attained scarcely warranted the anticipation that the Afghans would acknowledge themselves defeated by breaking up their combination and dispersing to their homes. It was true that they had been defeated, but they had fought with unprecedented stubbornness and gave little evidence of being cowed. Throughout the day, the villages around Cabal had evinced a rancorous hostility which had marked significance. Not less significant was the participation in the fighting of the day of the part of the population of Cabal. As Baker was returning to Shapur in the evening, he had been fired upon from Bala Hisar, and his flanking parties had found ambushes of armed Afghans among the willows between the city and the Canamont. But for the skill and courage of the non-commissioned officer in charge of a convoy of wounded on its way to Shapur would certainly have been destroyed. But there was a stronger argument than any of those indications, significant as they were of the unbroken spirit of the Afghans, telling against the probability that the operations of the day would have the effect of putting down the national rising. The hordes which had gathered to the banners of the Mosque Alum and Muhammad John, combined with the fascination of the Jihad, a fine secular greed for plunder, was it likely they would scatter residently? 
leaving untouched the rich booty of the city that had been almost within arm's length as they looked down on it from the peak of the Takia Shah, and whose minarts they were within sight of the spur in the villages of Beni Hisar. Was that ever likely? And was it not made more and yet more unlikely when on the afternoon of the 13th, Makka person, acting on orders, moved his camp to the Beli Hisar Heights, evacuating De Mazong and leaving open to the enemy the road into the city through the Cabal Gorge? The following morning was to show how promptly and how freely the Afghans had taken advantage of the access to the capital thus afforded them. It must never be forgotten that at this time our people in Afghanistan held no more territory than the actual ground they stood upon and the terrain swept by their fire. No trustworthy intelligence from outside that region was procurable, and of this there can be no clearer evidence than that the general was under the belief that the enemy had been foiled in their western and southern operations. The morning of the 14th effectively dispelled the optimistic anticipations indulged in overnight. At daybreak, a large body of Afghans with many standards were discerned on a hill about a mile northward of the Ashami Raj, from which and from the Konishan Road they were moving on the crest of that ridge. They were joined by several thousands coming up the slopes out from the village of the De Afghan, the northern suburb of Kabal. It was estimated that there were about 8,000 men in position along the summit of the ridge and occupying also a low conical hill beyond its northwestern determination. The array of Afghans displayed itself within a mile of the west face of the Sherpur cantonment and formed a menace which could not be brooked. To General Baker was entrusted the task of dislodging the enemy from the threatening position, and there was assigned to him for this purpose a force consisting of about 1,200 bayonets, 8 guns, and a regiment of native cavalry. His first object was to gain possession of the conical hill already mentioned, and thus to bar Afghan force on the Asami Heights from receiving accessions either from the masses on the hill further north or by the Coniston Road. Under cover of the artillery fire, the Highlanders and guides occupied this conical hill after a short conflict. A detachment was left to hold it, and then Colonel Jenkins, who commanded the attack, set about the orodious task of storming from the northward and formidable position of the Asami Heights. The assault was led by Brownlow's staunch Highlanders, supported on the right by the guides operating on the enemy's flank, and the Afghan position was heavily shelled by four of Baker's guns and by four more in action near the southwestern corner of the Sherpur cantonment. Makaperson, from his position on the Balahisar Hill, aided the attack by the fire of his guns and also by dispatching two companies of the 67th to cross the Cabal Gorge and operate against the enemy's left rear. In the face of a heavy fire, the Highlanders and guides climbed with great speed and steadiness the rugged hillside, leading up the Afghan breastwork on the northern edge of the summit. Their approach and the crushing sharpnel fire from the guns near Shapur had caused numerous Afghans to move downward from the position toward the Afghan, heavily smitten as they went. But the Ghazis in the breastworks made a strenuous resistance and died under their banners as the Highlanders carried the defenses with a rush. The crest, about a quarter of a mile long, was transversed under heavy fire and the southern breastwork of the peak was approached. It was strong and strongly held, but a crossfire was brought to bear on its garrison, and then the frontal attack led by a lance corporal of the 72D was delivered. After a hand-to-hand -hand grapple in which Highlanders and guides were freely cut and slashed by the knives of the Ghazis, the position which was found full of dead was carried, but with considerable loss. 
the whole summit of the Asami Heights was now in British possession, and everything seemed auspicious. The Afghans streaming down from the heights towards the city were being lacerated by shell fire and mustery fire as they descended. When they took refuge in the Afghan, the suburb was heavily shelled and it was gradually evacuated. Scarcely had Jenkins won the summit of the Asami Ridge when the fortune of the day was suddenly overcast. Indeed, while he was still engaged in the attainment of the object, premonitorily indictions of serious mischief were unexpectedly presenting themselves. A vast host of Afghans, described as numbering from 15,000 to 20,000, debouched into the Cardiff Valley from the direction of the Indiki and were moving northwards, apparently with the object of forming a junction with the masses occupying the hills of the northwest of the Sami Heights. About the same time, cavalry scouting the Shardu Valley brought in information that large parties of hostile infantry and cavalry were hurrying across the valley in the directions of the conical hill, the defense which had been entrusted to Lieutenant Colonel Clark with 120 Highlanders and guides. Recognizing Clark's weakness, General Baker had judicially reinforced that officer with four mountain guns and 100 bayonets. The guns opened fire on the Afghan bodies marching from the Kilagazi direction and drove them out of range, but they coalesced with the host of advancing from the Indiki and vast masses of Afghans facing to the right, struck the whole range of the British position near the Kabul Gorge on the south too and beyond the conical hill on the north. The most valuable point was the selection at and which a menace, the necessity for supplying Clark with further reinforcements became urgently manifest. Baker sent up a second detachment and 200 Sikhs came out from the Sherpa at the double. But the Afghans, creeping stealthily in great numbers up the slope from out the Charda Valley, had a shorter distance to travel and were beforehand with the enforcements. Their tactics were on par with their resolution. The left of their attack grasped and held north of the conical hill, and from this position of vantage brought across fire to bear on Clark's detachment. As their direct attack developed itself, it encouraged from the conical hill a heavy rifle fire and shells at short range tore through the loose rush of Gazis. But the fanatics sped on and up without wavering. As they gathered behind a mound for the final onslaught, Captain Spence of the 72D with a handful of his Highlanders went out on the forlorn hope of dislodging them. A rush was made on him. He was overpowered and slaughtered after a desperate resistance, and the Afghan charge swept up the hillside. In momentarily panic, the defenders gave ground, carrying downhill with them the enforcement of the Punjabis which Captain Hall was bringing up. Two of the mountain guns were lost, but there was a rally at the foot of the hill under cover of which the other two were extradicated. The Afghans refrained from descending onto the plain and directed their efforts in towards cutting the occupants of the position on the Asami summit. They ascended by two distinct directions. One body from the conical hill followed the route taken by Jenkins in the morning. Another scaled a spur, trending downward to the Charda Valley from the southern extremity of the Asami Ridge. It was estimated that the Afghan strength disclosed this day did not fall short of 40,000 men. General Roberts was reluctantly compelled to abandon for the time any further offensive efforts. His reasons, stated with perfect frankness, may best be given in his own words. Upon to this time, he wrote, I had no reason to apprehend that the Afghans were in sufficient force to cope successfully with disciplined troops. 
but the resolute and determined manner in which the conical hill had been recaptured and the information sent to me by Brigadier General Macaperson that large masses of the enemy were still advancing from the north, south, and west made it evident that the numbers combined against us were too overwhelming to admit of my comparatively small force meeting them. I therefore determined to withdraw from all isolated positions and to concentrate the whole force at Shapur, thus securing the safety of our large cantonment and avoiding what had now become a useless sacrifice of life. The orders issued to Generals Baker and Macaperson to retire into the continent were executed with skill and steadiness. Jenkins' evacuation of the Isami position was consumptively adroit. When the order to quit reached that able officer, Major Stockwell of the 72D was out with a small detachment maintaining a hot fire on the Afghan bodies ascending by the southern spur of the Charbur Valley. He fell back with great deliberation, and when he rejoined the retirement down the hill face looking towards Shapur, was leisurely proceeded with, the hostile advance from the northern side being held in check by the fire-covering parties from Jenkins' left flank. General Macaperson's retirement was masterly, flanking his march through the Cabal Gorge with two companies of the 67th who stalled off a rush of Ghazis from the Asami Crest. He continued his march through the suburb of the Afghan, his baggage in front under a strong guard. Some few shots were exchanged before the suburb was cleared, but the casualties were few and presently the brigade entered the Canamont. General Baker continued to hold a covering position with part of his force until the troops from the heights of Macaperson's command had made good their retirement, and he was the last to withdraw. By dusk, the whole force was safely concentrated within the cantonment, and the period of the defensive had begun. The casualties of that day were serious, 35 killed and 107 wounded. During the week of fighting, the little force had lost somewhat heavily. The killed numbered 83 and wounded 192. Eight officers were killed and 12 were wounded. End of section 5.